Hi there, everyone. This is Dr. Michael Walden. Welcome to Ask the Blood Detective. My name is Dr. Michael Walden. I'm your host. The topic of today's uh, radio show is the killer flu epidemic. As many of you already know, if not everyone, there is a serious concern regarding the various types of flus that are circulating. And we're now seeing unprecedented numbers of individuals that are flu-infected and also who have died from the flu, both adults and children. What I'll be doing over the course of today's show is to discuss some of the fundamental concepts surrounding what the flu is, a little bit about the different flu vaccinations, what's recommended, and the disclaimer that I want to give is that I cannot tell anyone out there not to get a flu vaccine because the Center of Disease Control recommends that everyone receive an annual flu vaccination. But what I will do is discuss some of the concepts and important points behind, again, what the flu is, what the mutation rate means regarding flu types, and also discuss with a heavy emphasis what lifestyle factors, including hygiene, as well as specific uh, dietary and nutritional supplement strategies might be helpful to offset one's overall risk of infection, and namely from uh, getting the flu. I'll also make sure during the course of today's show to repeat certain important aspects as well. And this is probably the kind of show that you'll want to listen to more than once. Because this is not merely, in my opinion, what we're seeing with the flu presently, a passing phase. I think what we're seeing here is the continuation, I can't even say the beginning, but the continuation of infectious resistance or infection resistance that results from a number of potential, or for a number of potential reasons. Number one, we have resistance due to our innate immune systems struggle against the various types of flu strains. Our body's immune systems may be successful at killing off a certain amount in certain types of viruses, but again, some of those types of viruses may be resistant to our body's best efforts. And as common sense would tell us, as the blood detective common sense would tell us, as I'd like to call it, those resistant strains mutate, therefore they are resistant and they are stronger than they were previously. The continuation of this process of viral resistance and mutation is fundamentally at the core of why we see antiviral drug resistance and why we're seeing more and more people dying or suffering from longer and more severe versions of the flu than ever before. 
I think it's imperative that we learn something about improving our fundamental immune systems. For those of you who've been listening to my shows, I want to direct you to some of my prior shows. For example, the one called Everything Immune. You want to listen to that. That's going to give you more of a background about the immune system and talk about some preventative strategies through lifestyle for increasing your resiliency potentially against not just the the flu, but other viruses, bacteria, fungi, parasites, and the like. For those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. We're talking about the deadly flu epidemic right now going on all around you. And as I'll discuss in just a few minutes, when the flu hits a person, it's usually extremely sudden, not like a cold that comes on slowly and has lots of warning signs. So I will discuss and compare and contrast the differences between flu symptoms in different age groups and the common cold. For those of you who'd like to reach me with additional questions and concerns or even show ideas, please email me those show idea topics or your desire to speak with me by calling me at 914-552-1442. That's 914-552-1442. And my email is info, like information, info at blooddetective.com. And you can visit my website for additional information. I'll be posting up on my blog at the following web address. It's www.integratednutritionny.com. And the Integrated Nutrition website has the same blog as the Blood Detective website. Blood Detective may be a little easier for you to remember for some of you who are not writing this down. What's astonishing and what's been in the news is that the influenza activity uh, continues to increase weekly. All the U.S. states but Hawaii continue to report widespread flu activity. And the number of states experiencing what is considered high influenza activity increased from 26 plus New York City to 32 states plus New York City and Puerto Rico. And what's what's quite alarming is that the overall hospitalization rate is also very high. The CDC, or Center of Disease Control, is also reporting an additional 10 flu-related pediatric deaths, bringing the total number of flu-related pediatric deaths at the time of this radio show reported this season to approximately 30. It's just very, very scary. And the CDC continues to recommend influenza vaccinations for all persons six months of age and older as flu viruses are likely to continue circulating for weeks Now, in addition, in the context of widespread influenza activity, the CDC is also recommending clinicians and the public about the importance of antiviral medications for treatment of influenza in people who are severely ill and people who are at high risk of serious flu complications. I'll discuss more about the medication approach uh, later on. And of course, this is a show about natural health, so I'll be speaking about antiviral nutrition, including high doses of the active form of folic acid, uh, as well as uh, reduced glutathione, N-acetylcysteine, zinc, vitamin D, immunoglobin, probiotics, all of that. We'll be discussing that very soon. It's not just enough to take these things. Dosing is everything. And to just give you an idea of the enormity of this problem, we know that the proportion of people seeking uh, their health care providers, uh, health care 
expertise for influenza-like illness was 6.3%, which is above the national baseline of 2.2%. And that's the highest influenza-like illness percentage recorded since uh, the 2003-2004 season. And to further emphasize the the danger of, of what's going on right now with this viral spread is flu-associated hospitalizations. Now, since October 1st, 2017, 8,990 laboratory-confirmed influenza-associated hospitalizations have been reported, and that's been reported through the Influenza Hospitalization Network. So that's a population-based surveillance network for laboratory-confirmed influenza associations in hospitals. So there's some very, very accurate data out there showing that this problem is uh, a very serious one. And this translates to a cumulative overall rate of infection of 31.5 hospitalizations per 100,000 people in the United States. Or I should say 100,000 people in the United States. Now, 31.5 hospitalizations per 100,000 does not seem like a lot, but it is. It's important also to know that the highest hospitalization rates are among people 65 years and older. That's about 136.5 per 100,000 in that age range of 65 and older. And that's followed by adults between the ages of 50 and 64 years old, which averages about 33.2% per 100,000. And then children younger than five years, that's about 22.8% per 100,000. Now, during most seasons, children younger than five years and adults 65 years and older have the highest hospitalization rates. Now, if you know a little bit of, a little bit of something about the ages and the hospitalization rates, could help you throughout your, your day to be on the lookout and be uh, much more attentive to those people 65 and older around you that have even minor symptoms and adults between the ages of 50 and 64, for example, anyone that's immunocompromised. And again, I'll continue to talk about other risk factors so that you can limit your exposure because if you don't have this basic knowledge, you simply cannot limit your exposure. And anything that we can do, anything that you can do to protect yourself against uh, exposure and also early recognition of, uh, of flu-related symptoms can make the difference between a, a horrific flu experience, an experience that could even result in death, compared to a mild flu experience. Let's talk for a few moments about mortality rates and, and what's known as the mortality surveillance regarding the flu. So, the proportion of deaths attributed to pneumonia and influenza was 8.2% for the week ending December 3rd, 2007. The percentage is above the epidemic threshold of 7.1%. You know, 8.2% is big. And that's um, calculated for week 52 in the National Center for Health Statistics Mortality Surveillance System. So, it is very much agreed upon that uh, we are dealing with an epidemic. So the use of the word epidemic is appropriately provi- uh, you know, provo- I should say, excuse me, appropriately 
used in this circumstance, once again, 8.2% of deaths of those affected compared to the epidemic threshold of 7.1%. And what is so, so sad and shocking to hear is the pediatric death rate. There have been approximately 10 influenza-associated pediatric deaths reported uh, to the CDC during week two. Four deaths were associated with influenza H1N1 virus. And these occurred during weeks 51 and 52 of December 2017, also January 6th, uh, 2018, and January 13, 2018, respectively. Three deaths were associated with influenza A virus, and three deaths were associated with influenza B virus occurring during uh, weeks 52, 1, and 2 of uh, December 2017, January 2018, 6th and 13th, respectively. So we're talking about a total of 30 influenza-associated pediatric deaths for the 2017-18 season that have been reported to the Center of Disease Control. I don't want to bore you with too many details, but there are a couple of other details that are important. For example, the most frequently identified influenza virus subtype reported by public health laboratories was influenza H3N2. The bottom line is that nutrition in the form of a diet low in processed and refined sugars, low in white flours, high in fruits and vegetables and in water, and proper rest and hand washing, for example, will likely reduce your risk of infection. And if you should get infection, should shorten its duration and hopefully be associated with less, with less severe influenza experience. And then the use of nutritional supplements to get higher blood levels of specific nutrients that you'll find, for example, certain nutritional compounds that are immune-modulating, anti-inflammatory, antiviral, that you'll find in fruits and vegetables, I believe should be consumed in the form of superfoods. And I'll be specific about the ones that I recommend, the ones that I'm most familiar with. And then also nutritional supplements, like some that I mentioned earlier that we'll talk about in just a few minutes in terms of exact dosing. I want to just say at this point, though, that I would suggest you speak with a nutritionally qualified healthcare provider before you begin any of the nutritional supplements. There's a number of reasons for that, the least of which is if you're on any medications, there may be some positive or adverse drug nutrient interactions, and you just want to get clear on those. And now, back to a couple of important numbers. Since October 2017, the, the Center of Disease Control has tested approximately 168 influenza type H1N1, and they've tested 587 influenza H3N2, and the CDC has additionally tested 209 influenza B viruses for resistance to the various antiviral medications. I won't go over the, the complicated names and, and uh, mechanisms of actions of these, these medications, but I will say, while it seems that the majority 
of the tested viruses show some susceptibility to antiviral drugs. Uh, two H1N1 viruses were resistant to uh, two of the antiviral drugs, but were sensitive to another. What's confusing about the susceptibility of the, of the various subtypes of the flu virus and these different medications is that they may be more or less partially effective, not just in a laboratory, but in different people. Just the absorption rates of these medications vary drastically among individuals. Now, I should just state the obvious that most individuals listening to a radio show like this on, on a network like this are much more apt to forego antiviral medications and instead choose natural means of improving immunity and natural means of antiviral protection. And this is, of course, uh, a personal decision. I cannot make that decision for anyone out there. But I want to give the most responsible reporting of the facts that are occurring right now regarding uh, this flu epidemic and what the drugs seem to show, and then talk about the nutrition as well. So to try to do this properly, I'm going to talk about the recommendations provided by the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, also known as the ACIP, regarding the use of seasonal uh, influenza uh, vaccinations. So as I mentioned at the onset of the show, routine annual influenza vaccination is recommended for all persons aged six months who do not have any contraindications uh, to the vaccination. And healthcare uh, providers, I hope, are supposed to be trained in, the, in choosing the appropriate uh, influenza vaccination, and they call that age-appropriate vaccination. So that is, that is up to the healthcare provider to determine. And for the 2017-18 season, there are two main types of influenza vaccines that, are, that will be available and are available, and they're known as the quadrivalent and the trivalent influenza vaccines. And what that basically means is that the trivalent form protects or is meant to protect against three different strains. One type B strain and two type A strains. That's what the trivalent was designed to manage. And the tetravalent vaccines are supposed to provide some protection against, similarly to the trivalent, everything that the trivalent flu vaccine is meant to protect for, which is one type B and two type A strains, in addition to an additional B strain. In other words, both B and both A strains, that's four, are protected by the quadrivalent. So quad is four and trivalent is three. So that's what those fancy terms mean. So the inactivated influenza vaccines will be available in a trivalent and a quadrivalent formulations. And then there's something called recombinant influenza vaccine, or RIV, will be available in the trivalent and the quadrivalent formulations. Interestingly, the live, the live attenuated influenza vaccine is not recommended for use during, during the 2017-18 season due to 
concerns, this is right from the CDC, about, the, about its effectiveness against the H1N1 viruses during the 2013-14 and 2015-16 seasons. I'm guessing that implies that they didn't work well. But every year we're told to get these vaccinations and then a couple of years later we're, we look back retrospectively and we say, hey, these things didn't seem to work. And there's not a whole lot of talk about the resistant viruses and, the, and therefore the proportionately uh, worthless uh, vaccinations. Not for everyone. Vaccines will protect some individuals but they seem to not protect most individuals. And interestingly, just to emphasize this um, concept of prior flu vaccines just not being recommended now, but were given to millions of people previously and were found out to be useless or possibly even harmful. Uh, another example would be the flu mist quadrivalent, which uh, should not be used during 2017-18 season due to concerns about its effectiveness against the influenza H1N1 in the United States during 2013 and 14 and 2015 and 16 seasons. Okay, so let's, let's talk English here a little bit. <laughs> let's, let's break this down. Let me review, first of all, what influenza is. Now, you probably know that influenza is known as the flu. It is a particularly contagious respiratory illness caused by the influenza viruses. It can cause mild to severe illness and at times can and does lead to death. It's a contagious respiratory illness. It can cause anything from very mild symptoms to severe symptoms and once again can lead to death. So this is not the kind of thing that anyone out there should be taking lightly. If there's any other time in your life that you decide to take really good care of yourself, it better be now because infectious diseases, not just flu, but Bacterial infections and other type infections are quickly becoming the number one cause of death in the United States, surpassing cancers and even heart disease. I predicted that decades ago, and, and particularly because I would measure the immune systems of my patients, and what I was seeing was astounding. And again, I will direct you to my prior shows, which you can listen to on my blog at www integratednutritionny.com or blooddetective.com. Any questions you have, best to post them on my blog page as well or my Facebook page and I'll be happy to answer them. Or email me at info at blooddetective.com. So let's talk about what the flu is and compare it to the cold. So the flu is obviously, or maybe not so obviously, it's different from a cold. The flu usually comes on very suddenly, and people who have the flu often feel some of the following symptoms. So I need you to listen to these. They might experience a fever or simply feel feverish or get chills. They might have a cough. They might have a sore throat, a runny or stuffy nose, muscle or body aches, headaches, fatigue, and some people even have vomiting and diarrhea. And although the vomiting and diarrhea is most common in children than it is uh, in adults. And it's also important to note that not everyone with, with the flu will have a fever. Many of my patients, when they told me about what they understood the flu to be in terms of symptoms, a lot of them thought they, they, they would guarantee to have a fever, but that's not true. So most people who get 
influenza, most will recover in a few days or less than two weeks usually, but some people will develop complications such as pneumonia. And as a result of the flu, some of, uh, of which can become a threatening and result in death. So we've got pneumonia, bronchitis, sinus and ear infections are examples of complications from the flu. And the flu can make many, many chronic health problems far worse. So for example, people with asthma may experience asthma attacks while they have the flu. And people with, for example, um, chronic congestive heart failure may experience worsening of this, continu- uh, of this condition as well, triggered by the flu. But I've also had uh, patients tell me that, for example, some of them with special needs kids or those with uh, muscular dystrophy or multiple sclerosis or just um, even arthritis and pain, that they will often get exacerbation of a lot of their symptoms. So it doesn't have to be the most common serious health problems. So let's talk about people that are at high risk from the flu. So anyone, 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 even healthy people can get the flu. And serious problems related to the flu can happen at any age. But there are some people at high risk of developing serious flu-related complications if they get sick. Now, I mentioned some of this before. This includes people 65 years and older. People of any age with chronic medical, condi- medical conditions, I just named one before, asthma, but also diabetes, various forms of heart disease, pregnant women, young children. But there are reports of, again, seemingly well people, runners, you know, they, well in one day uh, they're alive and the next day they're dead. This was reported in the news. So what are some of the emergency warning signs of flu sickness? And I'm going to discuss this in children. Then I'm going to discuss this in adults and infants briefly. So in children, emergency warning signs of the flu might include fast breathing and trouble breathing, a bluish skin color due to poor oxygenation, not drinking enough fluids, the child just doesn't drink, Um, not waking up or not interacting, they're very lethargic, they become, relatively speaking, non-responsive being very irritable, that the child doesn't want to be held, and then flu-like symptoms that seem to improve but return with fever and worse cough, and then fever with a rash. Those are common early warning signs or emergency signs of the flu in children. Now, in adults, difficulty breathing or shortness of breath, pain or pressure in the chest or abdomen, sudden dizziness and confusion, severe or persistent vomiting, and flu-like symptoms that improve, but like children, return again with fever and a worse cough. Now, in addition to those signs I just gave, you want to get medical help right away for an infant who has any of the following signs or symptoms. Being unable to eat, obviously, having trouble breathing, has no tears when they cry and significantly uh, fewer wet diapers than normal due to dehydration. They can't produce tears. They can't produce wet diapers. Let me distinguish just a bit more the difference between a cold and the flu. So the flu 
and the common cold are both respiratory illnesses, but they're caused by completely different viruses. Because these two types of illnesses have similar symptoms, they can be you know, particularly difficult to tell the difference between them based on symptoms alone. So in general, in general, the flu is worse than the common cold and the symptoms are more common and intense than the cold. Colds are usually milder than the flu. So people with colds are more likely to have a runny nose or a stuffy nose. And colds generally do not result in serious health problems such as pneumonia, bacterial infections, and hospitalizations. But flu, on the other hand, can have very serious associated complications. Now, how can you tell the difference between the flu and a cold? Now, because colds and the flu share many symptoms, it may be very difficult or even impossible to tell the differences between them just based on symptoms. So in these cases, special tests need to be done within the first few days of illness, and they can help tell if the person has a flu. So what, again, are the symptoms of a flu versus the symptoms of a cold? I need to drill this into your heads. The symptoms of flu can include fever or feeling feverish or chills, cough, sore throat, runny, stuffy nose, muscle body aches, headaches, fatigue, and tiredness. Now, the cold symptoms are usually milder than the symptoms of flu, and people with colds are much more likely to have a runny or a stuffy nose. So that's key. Colds generally do not result in serious health problems. Now, let's move to the treatments. If you get the flu, what's recommended in traditional medicine are antiviral drugs. They are one of the main treatment options. So you want to check with your doctor if you're at high risk of serious flu complications and if you get what you think are flu symptoms. So people, again, at high risk of the flu that can get complications are young children with underdeveloped immune systems, people, or adults, I should say, 65 years of age and older who have weakened immune systems, and pregnant women, again, weakened immune systems, and people with certain medical conditions, again, heart disease, diabetes, asthma. Now, when used for treatment, the antiviral drugs on average seem to lessen symptoms and shorten the time that you're sick by one or two days. That's it. They also have been shown to prevent serious flu complications like, like pneumonia. So for people at high risk of serious flu complications, treatment with antiviral drugs and antiviral nutrition can mean the difference between milder and far more serious illnesses and probably shorter hospital stays, too. And any amount of time you can spend out of the hospital is good. So in terms of antiviral drugs, most people with a flu have mild symptoms. They don't need medical care or antiviral drugs. So if you get sick with flu symptoms, in most cases, you simply should stay home and avoid contact with other uh, people except to get medical care. But if you have symptoms of the flu and you're in a high-risk group or you're very sick or worried about your illness, definitely contact your healthcare provider. Now, you might need antiviral medications to treat your flu and certainly improvements in diet, lifestyle, and antiviral nutrients. So the healthcare professionals in traditional medicine, the doctors, the physicians, antiviral drugs, they will use that to treat your illness. Now, you have to remember that antiviral drugs are different from antibiotics. So flu antivirals are prescription medications. 
And of course, antibiotics or antibacterial, they do nothing to protect from the flu. And the antiviral medications used for the flu, those are prescriptions and they're not available uh, over the counter. Now, once again, it's very important that antiviral drugs, if you're going to use them, that they're used early and to treat very sick people. For example, people who are in a hospital and people who are sick with the flu and have a greater chance of getting serious flu complication, complications, you know, uh, either because of their age or because they have a high-risk medical condition. So what do you do if you get sick? This is when we talk about the nutritional part of this. I will state, though, number one, what's available are antiviral drugs. Those are prescribed by your medical physician, physician assistant, whatever. And you'd want to take every precaution to protect others while you are sick. So while you're sick, you want to limit contact with others as much as possible for obvious reasons. You don't want to infect other people. You know, I was working out in the gym yesterday and I'm hearing people cough and blow their noses and I'm thinking almost no one is wearing workout gloves. I always wear workout gloves. I also take powdered buffered vitamin C. I, I wash it. I wipe it on my hands. It's invisible. It's an antiviral. I take some of that buffered powdered vitamin C, my detox eliminate product you can find on the blood detective website, detox eliminate, and I put a little bit of it around my nose and I also will do a vitamin C flush every couple of months, which means you want to write this down. This is one of the most important things you can do. You know, vitamin C is very good as an antiviral protector, but not so good once you have the virus. So you need to have a high concentration of vitamin C in your body. And the best way to accomplish this, in my experience, is by doing what I call a vitamin C lavage or vitamin C flush test. So you want to use a buffered powdered vitamin C, such as my Detox Eliminate product. And you want to be home for a few hours and you take a level teaspoon of the buffered powdered vitamin C, dissolved in one to two, one to three, I should say, ounces of water every 30 minutes. And you do that until you get diarrhea. Then you stop. And then the next day you continue with vitamin C, but not at that amount that caused diarrhea, but you're calculating how many level teaspoons it took for you to reach diarrhea, for you to reach saturation. And you want to take daily something just under that amount so you don't have diarrhea, that you have normal bowel movements. So you take three quarters of the amount in two to three equally divided doses of whatever that amount was that caused diarrhea. Okay, that's what you want to do for vitamin C. Put it on your hands, put it on your nose. That's one of the most important things. I cannot emphasize it enough. You want to cover your nose and mouth with a tissue when you cough or sneeze and then throw the tissue in the trash after you use it. You certainly, you certainly want to avoid being face-to-face -face with a sick person and if possible, it's best to spend the least amount of time in close contact with a sick person. If you're going to do that, wear a face mask, wash your hands, and use that vitamin C. We're going to talk about other nutrients in a moment. And if you're going to hold sick children, you need to place your chin on your shoulder so you, they will not cough in your face. You want to wash your hands often and right away. I cannot emphasize that more. 
washing your hands constantly. If soap and water are not available, use an alcohol-based hand rub. Now, the rest of my talk will be entirely focusing on nutrition. Now, as far as what the best diet is, um, I gave you general outlines earlier. It's a diet that is high in fruits and vegetables, generally organic, non-GMO, and low in animal products. Red meat is high in arachidonic acid, and uh, chicken and turkey. Uh, a certain amount is allowed if it's free range, but I like to recommend diets that are as low as possible in animal products and higher in foods that uh, I like to call lower down on the food chain, the plant-based foods. You want to juice if you can. What I tend to advise is that in addition to fresh juicing of all kinds of green and multicolored uh, vegetables and or uh, also using uh, fruit smoothies is to add into the vegetable and fruit smoothies a full scoop each of my detox one through four powders. Now there are dozens upon dozens of important antiviral and immune modulating fruits and vegetables and therefore compounds in these fruits and vegetables. And it is simply not possible, uh, even normal, for an individual to expect to be able to consume the amount of fruits and vegetables that might give them optimal protection. So my advice is six to eight pieces of fruits and vegetables every single day, which is easy to achieve if you are using juices. But then do consider my detox, where I spell it D-T-O-X, formulas one, two, three, and four. If you are on a blood thinner like Coumadin, I do not suggest you take these products without being followed by a nutritionally trained healthcare provider. They can be used, but they must be used carefully. So when we're talking about the different types of compounds in these fruits that are immune modulating, they include things like phosphatidylserine and omega-3 fats that you'll find in, in flax seeds. So we are adding that grain to the smoothies or it, they're in my detox products. Uh, resveratrol, very antiviral, immune modulating, anti-inflammatory. Uh, glutathione, and there's some misinformation that's been floating around out there forever saying that L-glutathione or reduced glutathione is not absorbed orally, that is not true. There are no fewer than hundreds of studies that show that L-glutathione or orally is absorbed. These companies out there that are unscrupulous have been making the false claim that reduced glutathione orally is not absorbed, so they've made these liposomal, fancy-dancy oral glutathione products that are just expensive ways of ripping off the public. I am not saying that they themselves are useless. I'm simply saying that glutathione is absorbed orally. In addition, we'll have a large amount of vitamin A and C and calcium. We want strawberries, cherries, raspberries, and pomegranates. We want cranberries, we want blackberries, blueberries, papayas, plums, peaches, pears, mangoes, watermelon, uh, red currants, nectarines, blood oranges, all of these foods and others. And the list goes on. 
uh, green tea extract, grapeseed extract, uh, apple, uh, broccoli, uh, cranberry kale, uh, prunes, spinach, strawberries, and then a certain type of immune-modulating fiber, uh, arabinogalactan from the larch tree, uh, dimethylglycine hydrochloride. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, apple pectin, uh, bilberry, lutein, lycopene, astaxanthin, stevia leaf extract. These all show a synergistic ability to modify the immune response. And if we tried to consume these in the form of uh, foods and not dehydrated powdered superfoods, we'd have a very hard, if not to impossible time getting them in. It is worth taking the extra step of adding these uh, powders, these superfood powders. They don't replace a balanced, healthy diet, of course, but they will modify it very favorably. So detox one through four. These products have different uh, colors. Uh, one of them is green, the other one is orange, the other one is purple, and the other is red. The average dose I give the average normal weight person is one scoop. There's a scooper in the container, and you take a scoop of each of these, and you can either drink them diluted in water to taste about twice a day. If you are overweight by more than 10 pounds, I highly suggest that you take two scoops of each, and you can drink one scoop of each of these four drinks, let's say in the morning for breakfast and over the course of an hour or two, and then you can have another scoop of detox one through four later on in the day, let's say a few hours before dinner time, possibly during dinner, after dinner, it doesn't matter, just get it in. It'll hyperhydrate you with plenty of electrolytes, natural enzymes, and again, a variety of flavonoids and other healthful immune-modulating compounds known as proanthocyanidins. Extremely important for overall health and not just for antiviral effects, but the foods and the nutritional compounds that I've been talking about are healthy for the body overall. Now let me give some more specifics regarding some specialized nutrients that, in my experience, taken in addition to the Detox 1 through 4 products or similar uh, superfood concentrates. Now, my food concentrates are pharmaceutical grade. They taste delicious. They were formulated by me. In addition to those, I would recommend a specific type of zinc known as zinc bisglycinate chelate. Now this particular form of zinc has been shown to have some very interesting immune modulating activity. For a normal weight person, about 54 milligrams should do it. And if you are 10 pounds or more overweight, I would suggest about 108 milligrams of the zinc bisglycinate chelate. It happens to be mislabeled on my website, I'll have to fix this error, as zinc picolinate. Now, vitamin D. I've talked about vitamin D on lots of my shows because it is so fundamental for health. But many people do not realize that vitamin D is an immune modulator, and it's also been shown to have antiviral effects. So for those of you out there that have had your vitamin D levels checked, and listen carefully because 
there is a common error out there with many healthcare providers that are trying to do the right thing, but they screw this up. Vitamin D levels should be between a range of 30 and 100 on a blood test. 30 and 100. If you have been told that you need vitamin D and your blood level is lower than 30, most of my patients were told by other doctors the following. They were, they, were, they were actually told, oh, you need to take some vitamin D with no dose specified at all. That's completely wrong, if not malpractice. Second, most common comment that patients will tell me is, oh yeah, I had my other doctor check the vitamin D. It was low and they said to take 1,000 or they said to take 2,000 or 3,000 or 5,000. But all of those responses are wrong. If you are of normal weight and your vitamin D is less than 30, you are supposed to take the activated form of D3, which you can find on the Blood Detective website, as a 50,000 international unit dose. Now, for those of you saying, oh my God, that's so high. No, it's not high. That is exactly what the medical recommendation is for a normal weight person. 50,000 IUs, one time per week, not once every day. 50,000 units once a week for approximately eight weeks. Then you have your vitamin D level checked again. And then if it's in the range and it's not a 70, okay, not just anywhere in the range of 30 to 100, but a 70, then you need to take additional vitamin D and the dose at that point is dependent on sort of where you're at. Maybe it'll be 5,000, maybe it'll be 10,000. Now, if you are overweight by more than 10 pounds, you likely need 100,000 units per week for eight weeks of activated D3 Okay, and once again, you can find that on the Blood Detective website under the supplements section. If you're concerned about too much vitamin D, uh, first of all, don't take 50,000 or 100,000 forever. Like I said, eight weeks, then get your blood checked again. If you take too much D, you might have some muscle spasms, your calcium level in your blood might go up, and uh, then you just stop taking the D, and then a few days you're fine, and then you start it again on a lower dose. So as long as you are monitored, you will be fine. In 27 years of practice, I think I have seen vitamin D toxicity twice. And I really only remember one, but I figured, hey, maybe I'll say, maybe there's one I forgot. But it's certainly possible. Then there is a particular combination of nutrients that I think are important and I've put together in the form of a product that I called um, Immunobalance 20. So I combine vitamin A, which is antiviral, along with antiviral vitamin C and the methylated form of B12. I've combined those in specific amounts with vitamin B5, which helps support the adrenal glands. That's known as panathenic acid, along with some zinc, astragalus, uh, European elder, andrographis, echinacea, elicine, and acerola. All of those are together, and I generally recommend you follow the instructions on the bottle if you're normal weight and double it if you're not. So that's Immunobalance 20. I also like to add extra antiviral folic acid. Folic acid needs to be in its activated form, in my opinion, which is called the L5-methyl tetrahydrofolate form. So that you will find on the Blood Detective website as active folic acid. And no conversation about antiviral and immune modulating effects can be complete unless we talk a little bit about N-acetylcysteine. 
I am not saying cysteine. I am saying N-acetylcysteine. That means the cysteine is acetylated. There is an acetyl group. This is a little chemistry attached to the cysteine. There are studies that show that cysteine can bind to mercury and put it in your brain. That is bad. N-acetylcysteine can bind to mercury and other metals and help it bring, get out of your body. But that's not why I'm bringing this up. N-acetylcysteine has been studied in many strong viruses, including HIV, and it's been shown to reduce the replication rate. So N-acetylcysteine at a dose of 500 to 3,000 milligrams is in the right range. Now, NAC, N-acetylcysteine, is a mucolytic agent. It breaks up mucus, and mucus provides a, a, a place, a nidus, it's called, for viruses and bacteria to grow. So N-acetylcysteine, being a mucolytic, breaks up the mucus and helps it drain much better. N-acetylcysteine is particularly important for upper respiratory and lung problems because it increases glutathione, that immune modulator in the lungs, according to some studies, within 15 minutes of taking it. Now, what's so essential to know is that if you feel well and healthy, this is the time you load up appropriately on nutrients and you really watch your diet. It's not when you get sick. And you need to be, please listen, you need to be consistent every day with your supplementation because you need to reach a certain saturation in your blood to get what's called a pharmacologic and true effect. If you miss a day or two of a supplement, it might take you two, three, or four, or five more days to bring it back up in the blood to a therapeutic range. Most of my patients never think about this therapeutic range. They think, oh, I take it twice a week. You know, it doesn't, it probably won't make any difference that way. You need to take your nutrients, you need to eat well every day. And as I said earlier in the show, if there was ever a time for you to manage your healthy diet and take your supplements, it's now. Now, what else can I say about NAC? Number one, I'll summarize. It's a mucolytic agent. It's antiviral. It's antibacterial. It's antifungal. It's antiparasitic. It is a very safe chelator, which is a term meaning to bind to, remove, removal of toxins such as uh, heavy metals. So uh, NAC is one of my very favorite supplements. What else can I mention? We talked about the vitamin C flush test using the Detox Eliminate product. And probably the last two or three supplements I'm going to recommend are colostrum in the form of a purified pharmaceutical-grade colostrum. You can find that in my product called Detox immunoglobin G. Now, in my radio show, Everything Immune, I talk about the immunoglobin immune system. That's one of our first defenses against viruses. When we're exposed to viruses, our immunoglobin M should increase. But for people where it's low, it might not increase, and the, that means the immune system is not strong enough to deal with the virus. Immunoglobin G helps the body form immunoglobin M and another very important immunoglobin called immunoglobin A. So all you need to take away from this conversation is that the product 
detox immunoglobin G contains immunoglobin G, which is an important immunoglobin for overall immunity. In medicine, for some very severe health problems, and as a last resort often, people are given intravenous immunoglobins. So this is proven stuff. The dose, stick to the bottle uh, amounts if you're normal weight, and double them if you're 10 pounds or more overweight. Now, immunoglobin G helps reduce leaky gut syndrome. Therefore, it helps the, the environment of the gut helping to reestablish the important, immunologically important microflora. Probiotics are extremely important for immune modulating effects. The probiotic of choice is one that I formulated over, the, uh, over several years, which I call superbugs. So superbugs, in short, contains a variety of lactobacilli and bifidobacterium bugs that help to reestablish normal microflora of the small intestine. And listen to this, 70% of your immune system is in your small intestine. It's in the walls of the small intestine in the form of what's called Peyer's patches. And then the other aspect, the other percentage of about 30% of your immune system is located in your bone marrow. And then there's also some immune modulating activity in the liver, known as the cuffer cells. So probiotics help all of that. So superbugs used along with detox immunoglobin G have a synergistic effect. And I probably would add one last preventative product for general health and well-being in addition to a healthy diet uh, called Saccharomyces boulardii. Saccharomyces boulardii is a type of beneficial yeast that most people think of for candida and for serious a uh, hospital-acquired infection that also causes quite a number of deaths, over 100,000 every year, known as C. difficile. But Saccharomyces also helps the local immunity in the small intestine. So I've given you a number of nutritional products, Detox 1 through 4, Detox Eliminate, uh, Zinc, uh, Immunoglobin, I'm sorry, uh, Detox Immunoglobin G, Immunobalance 20, N-acetylcysteine, vitamin D, active folate. Those are some of the main players along with the detox one through four products that have the equivalent of dozens of fruits and vegetables in a dehydrated form, along with juicing and a clean diet. I hope that this show was informative. I hope you learned something. I always look forward to hearing your feedback. Please. Call me if you want to work with me personally at 914-552-1442 or let me know your show ideas, leave me a message. You can email me any comments that you have at info at blooddetective.com. Visit my website to listen to my radio shows, get free content, look at my videos at www.integratednutritionny.com. Please join me next week when I talk about some of the most common errors people make when choosing and taking their nutritional supplements. If you're going to spend the time and the money on nutritional supplements, you want to take them right. And an alarming percentage of people that I've seen over the years do not take their supplements correctly. They're wasting their money. You might as well flush it down the toilet. 
Anyway, thank you so much for joining me. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. You've been listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Stay well. Show you a statue. Told-